Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Queers and Allies podcast. We're located here at College of Western Idaho, and we're here to give you your daily queer updates. Well, I guess I just lied. It's, it's bi-monthly. Speaking of being bi, last month was Bisexual Awareness Month. So we're going to be talking about that today in our first podcast segment. My name is William Young, and I'm the president of Queers and Allies. I'm Sydney Rich. I'll be the co-speaker on this podcast. And probably our new secretary, pending. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but today for our news, we're going to start off with a little bit, something a little bit fun, something a little bit intense. And then, I don't know, whatever we feel like, because we own ourselves. We are our own workers. You don't own us. Um, so I thought it'd be nice to talk about some presidential candidates and their LGBTQ policies. Did you know that Joe Biden, back in the early 2000s, voted against the gay marriage legislation? And also he protected DOMA? which is protecting traditional marriage. But today, he seems to love the gay people. Hmm, what are our takes on that, squad? Well, we can either go the nice way and say people can change, or we can, you know, be ready to fight. I I think he's definitely changing only because we change, and I think that's a really important... Um, a distinction? Really impor- yeah, an important distinction. I think that... You know, and it's also like when it comes into a uh, a politician, some people are really, really like indignant on having people who represent their core views and people who just will listen to them based on how they vote. Um, but on the other hand, we actually have a gay candidate, which that's exciting. You don't really see gay candidates voting uh, for DOMA when they're gay. So there's Pete Buttigieg. Um, We've also got other people who are very supportive of LGBTQ rights, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, um, even Kamala Harris. Even though she's not my fave, she still is really supportive of specific LGBTQ policies, despite the fact that she kind of did put trans people in the wrong prisons and denied them, like, medical operations. But we'll just not think about that right now. Wow, that's rude. (laughs) Yikes. Um... Oh, then always a fun candidate to talk about is the infamous Tulsi Gabbard, who is very progressive, but she had some bad run-ins in the past with LGBTQ policy. Um, well, not even policy. She just said some offensive things, um, did publicly apologize for it, so I appreciate that. And all of her policies reflect very progressive LGBTQ needs. Um, so I think, like, it's fair. Nice. We have a lot of candidates who are very in the right direction. Even Elizabeth Warren, who... Um, a few decades ago was very, very conservative and was not very pro-LGBTQ. But now it seems that everyone's kind of changing because we forced them to change, and I like that. Good. Suck it. <laughs> um, so I think we have a few other segments here to start with. I think – did you have anything to talk about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, Jonathan Van Ness because I love him. He's my favorite. Isn't he that guy off Queer Eye? Yeah, he is. He's the hair artist, or excuse me, hairdresser off Queer Eye. And also, I think they use they, them pronouns. Ah, I remember seeing that tweet. It was more, he was talked about how saying he could use he, him, or they, them. He didn't really much care. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, um, I can call him by they, or call them by they, them from here out. I mean, I don't think I'll ever get the, the gracious chance to even speak to them. But if it does happen, now I know. Yeah. Well, anyways, 
Uh, they just came out with a book that I really, really want to read. So he's coming out with a book called Over the Top, which is an autobiography about his life. I really want to read that. I'm pretty excited to see it coming out. Also, we had our first uh, gay man be, per- be win a Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in the television series Pose. Pretty happy about that. Sorry, I just got a bunch of panic text messages from people. Yeah, that's Life a mood. is fun. That's a mood. <sighs> um, and then I think you're also going to talk about Billy Porter. Did you just talk about Billy Porter? Sorry, I was... There are lots of terrifying text messages. I might not have said his name, actually. You did. Oh, did I? Good. Yikers. Okay, back to whatever we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the by chair. What do we know about this infamous by chair? I've been hearing whispers across the internet. It looks like a disaster, but also very comfortable to sit in. Yeah. Which I think is pretty iconic for buys. I'm just going to take a look at it right here. See what we've got going on. How buy is it really? Oh, it looks pretty buy. <laughs> so it looks to be a wooden chair. It has a very asymmetrical shape, which can we get a confirmation from someone bisexual that this chair would be of great comfort? Looks like a dream. Wow, look at that. A real buy. We caught one. (laughs) Yeah, it looks pretty damn comfortable. So apparently it was made by a Brazilian artist and an Iowa woodworker, and they've collaborated to build the first chair for bisexuals. Up until now, they have not sat. In fact, are bisexual today? Well, they are standing. Tragic. We have another bisexual here today who is standing on a table instead. Wow. You know, that's brave. (laughs) Civil disobedience and all that. Okay. <clears throat> well, to move on to the main part of our segment, uh, we really want to cover bisexuality awareness. We have lots of bisexual topics. I myself, I'm not bisexual. Um, I guess I identify as queer. I say gay sometimes. I'm attracted to like masculine presenting people or like men, but like feminine men are nice. I don't know. I can't decide sometimes. Listen, if the butt has a square shape, I'm already interested. I don't know why, but that's just how it goes. Um, so for the importance of Bisexuality Month, we wanted to talk about International Celebrate Bisexuality Day, which was first founded in 1999. And the original organization that founded it was Binet USA in 1990. Now, over time... Bisexual people were getting kind of tired of being, like, lumped into June like every other holiday, and it took place on the 23rd. But on September 18th, 2012, the Berkeley, California City Council recognized the first day for bisexuals on September 18th, 2012, and then officially recognized it as September 23rd as Bisexual Pride and Bi Visibility Day. I need some of my um, guests to comment on the things I'm saying so it's not just me talking about definitions from Wikipedia all day. September is a great month for bi-celebration. Why? Explain yourself. Because September is a great month. I have multiple family members with birthdays in this month, so I'm biased. You're biased? 
Um, yeehaw to that. So as we talk about bisexuality, we were going to cover some interesting and maybe somewhat controversial topics about experiences that bisexual people have in life, different types of rhetoric that are appropriate, and conversations around different sexualities that may take the back seat to a bisexual identity sometimes. Um, so first we want to talk about the fluidity of being bisexual and the idea that a lot of people may have that being bisexual means you are equal parts attracted to men and women. Um, what do y'all think about that? Well, I think that initially that is in fact a myth. It's mm-hmm. not true. Um, I remember definitely talking to definitely talking to bi people and knowing that they weren't attracted to men and women equally, only that they were attracted to men and women. Do you have any comments on that? It differs with with each person. Yeah. Like most things. Oh my gosh, there is a bisexual roaming up here. We can't can't stop them. Oh God, they're here. I used to identify as primarily queer because I had the assumption that I had to be 50-50 in order to be a valid bisexual. But I think once you actually... It's steaming. That's Steamin. stupid, is yeah. basically. It's, if you are attracted to multiple genders and you're bisexual, that's it. I've said what I said. <laughs> also, Hi. that was um, Allison. I was never introduced. Well, you should have introduced her. Do it right now. Hi, I'm Thais. <laughs> Thais, are you any sort of representative <laughs> for our club here? I don't know anymore. <laughs> Are you a student here? I don't know anymore. What is life? Okay. Um, but also, our previous speaker was Allison, and they are the um, vice president of the Queers and Allies Club. So, thank you. you know, your intimidation helped me think faster. That's how we work. That's how we work here. <clears throat> okay. So now, next topic we want to do is... Why is there a bisexuality week, but not a pansexuality week? And what are the main differences between being bisexual and pansexual? And what are some misinterpretations we feel people might, oh, well, burp, we feel people might have? Well, there has been much discussion about the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality. Although I think there is a distinction between the two, I think it is more interesting to consider how those labels show the ambiguity in the LGBTQ plus community. The beautiful thing about people is that we are all varied. The definition I give for why I identify as bi is how I don't know I'm supposed to read it. What are you doing? Wait, are you reading something? Yeah. I didn't say you could read that. Oh, I thought it was just on there. Really? Yeah, because I was going to write a segment, but I didn't finish it. Oh, never mind then. Whoops, Thais stealing my I'm words. sorry. You gave me this paper. You I, gave me this, I and I down was like... Specific part Drama oh, ensues on the battlefield of bi's. yikes a Okay, well, next. So I read some interesting, um, some interesting literature that suggested that bisexuality inherently is an attraction to genders, while pansexuality inherently is not necessarily an attraction to genders, but an attraction. I think that's a little more accurate, probably. I know that when... Okay, we have someone coming up here. Another bi... Please introduce yourself. Dear God, no one's introducing themselves. <laughs> okay. We just have a lineup of them. We've, we've caged Hi, them all. I'm Riley. Um, 
I you hopped out of your mouth okay. on the mic. Hi, I'm Riley. On the mic. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I'm Riley. I use they them pronouns and I'm bi. I feel like the difference is that bi you have a preference for one or the other. And that um pansexuality is what they call gender blindness where it doesn't matter at all. All right. That's a hot pocket take. And I trust Riley because Riley, Riley definitely does read up on this a lot more than the rest of us do, or at least myself. So that... That's fair. When uh, I was in high school, I definitely ide- identified as pan. And sometimes I feel like that's probably a more accurate label. And yeah, it was more of a, a blindness to gender and more of paying attention to who the person I was attracted to was. Hmm. So that's just my take on it. I think one time I thought it was bi, and then I really, 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 really tried to be bi, and it really, 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 really didn't work. So we won't think about that too much, (laughs) but let it be known. I have attempted. I have. Okay. Next, we want to talk about bi erasure in the sense of if a bisexual person is in a relationship with someone who is a a certain gender, then they will be excluded from being seen as attracted to another gender. So say a bisexual woman who is in a relationship with a lesbian woman, the bisexual woman tends to be labeled as lesbian instead of bisexual because her relationships change the identity. (laughs) And then we have another bisexual. Introduce yourself again. It's Allison. (gasps) (laughs) Along with that, there's also a lot of bi erasure when people just pretty much want to make sense of you. So they want to categorize you in something that makes sense to them. I would have the occasional nerd boy that got a crush on me and they'd be like, oh, but she'll never like me. She's a lesbian. And he would just internalize that instead of me being like, no, I'm bi and just not interested. Yeah, because you're sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. I'm loving all these anecdotes. All right. Any other thoughts on the bi erasure in relationships? Oh, okay. Introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brian Mitchell. I'm the former vice president of the Q&A club. So I wanted to add a little bit on bi erasure. Um, I mean, obviously it's like a real thing. And even in, like, relationships, for example, my cousins... Hi, I'm Dora! Uh, growing up, she identified as lesbian, but as she got older, she realized she really doesn't give a crap about people's gender, so she ended up uh, coming out as, like, bisexual, and she married a man. She's still bisexual, but everyone um, that... I've conversed with who knows her. They assume that she's straight now because she's married to a man, but she's, she's still bisexual, even though they're in a like monogamous, yeah, monogamous relationship. So they don't Mm -hmm. explore outside the relationship, but she's still bisexual. It, It makes sense to me, but I guess like some people, they just don't understand that people's sexualities don't change simply by who they're with. Well, I think that also comes, and also we will strike all, like, the personal names from that. I'll probably replace them with, like, Dora or something. (laughs) Um, But I think a lot of that comes with, when we're living in this heteronormative society, people view sexuality and gender as very performative. 
So I think that's also another reason why a lot of men have these like intrinsic homophobic fears of like, oh, if I have an interaction with a man in a certain way, then I am the sexuality because they don't have to have their sexualities challenged, which means they believe that the perception of other people is more important than their own because you really have to build up that like self-centered understanding of who you are. That's something that I've experienced. Um, okay. So next we want to talk about by curious as a term. So how do we feel about by curious or by curiosity? Hello, this is Thais. Okay, you don't have to do it every time. <laughs> I just Thais want everyone is at least right once. Now. Okay, yeah, yeah. Pop off. Um by curious is an interesting term. Um I think it allows for more flexibility in figuring out what it is you want for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think of it as like a stepping stone to understanding themselves and it's more comfortable for them. Have you ever used that term for yourself? No, but I have friends who um, identify as bicurious or say they're bicurious Um to feel more comfortable in experimenting. Hmm. Anyone else on that term? There, I go back and forth on that term because I think that it can be used in a way that people use it to have a... There, we should give more space to people who want to explore their sexuality and not have to force them into identifying with a certain label. Yeah. But also when you use by curious and then backstep from there, like that's completely valid, but it can be, mm, I don't know how to word. It's, I think it's worrisome when for people who aren't as educated, it tends to overshadow the bisexual community. It tends to make bisexual people seem smaller and less visible because by curiosity, I've seen a lot of media, it just becomes like a joke. Exactly. Women I've seen who use it as like they're bi-curious and they want to have a threesome with their boyfriend, not like they identify as someone who is questioning about their sexuality. It's more as like some fun thing they want to try. Yeah. Something very sexual. Yes. Yeah. And it kind of takes away a lot of the identity to it. It just, again, becomes this performative kind of sexual thing. Yeah. It almost takes, it almost feels like it makes it a stepping stone. Of like, okay, I'm straight, now I'm bi-curious, now I'm gay or lesbian. Almost like they treat it like a stepping stone rather than an actual possible identity. And sometimes it can be a stepping stone to understanding yourself, but... And like, that's totally valid, but it sometimes is seen as only a stepping stone and it takes away from actual bi people. Yeah, because bisexuality isn't a stepping stone and they get... No. They become interchangeable to a lot of people. I think the label bi-curious implies that you have to have sexual um, experience before you can label yourself with a specific sexuality. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Which, as someone who's bi-romantic and asexual, it kind of, like, I'm never going to have sexual experience, so. Yeah. I still identify as bi, though. That's a really good point. I did not think of that. Uh, Okay. Maybe another. Oh, yeah, no, we'll get to that. We'll get to ace stuff. So next, I think we wanted to have a conversation about 
the way in which gay men, gay women, lesbian women, bisexual people, um, queer people, pansexual people, all different types of queer people are perceived in spaces differently by a heteronormative view or framework. Um, Do you uh, want to use some layman terms for that, please? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah my bad, my, my bad. Um, <laughs> essentially, I know that last week we were, or the week before, I can't remember, the debate tournament has completely destroyed my mind. Um, but we were having some conversations about ways in which like, the sexuality of gay men is perceived to be inherently violent, while the sexuality of gay and lesbian women is perceived to be inherently changeable and like claimable um and i wanted to expand upon that in our experiences and also experiences of people who aren't just simply gay or lesbian to better understand the way they move through society so you're talking more about lgbt representation in media not necessarily media but i think how do you feel that heterosexual people perceive you and how do you have to react to that in situations where you feel vulnerable okay that's fair I definitely have a story about that. If you want to share, I can turn the names into characters from Fail the Future. I'll just... (laughs) Okay. So I am a writer and I am an LGBT writer and every book I ever write will always have LGBT characters in it. All of them. The whole spectrum. Because I can. And there's not enough of it. But I remember I was writing a book and my main character was a lesbian and she was going to be dating a a bi person. I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure I was just making them female. And my brother chimed in that I could use the very popular lesbian porn aspect of things to promote my book. Mm, And I have never been more (laughs) mad in my life than when he boiled down the sexuality of two women loving each other into just them fucking for his pleasure. Mm. That really pissed me off. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people look at that as being, like, inclusive and woke. Yeah, and it is very much not, because it is... It's just disgusting. There's a huge history of women in queer, not even, I'm not going to say queer, I'm not going to fucking destroy the word queer with this description. (laughs) Women being put into sexual encounters in pornography in which they have sexual relations with other women and that being completely stripped of any queer identity because it's performative for heterosexual men. And I hate that. I mean, as a... uh, queer female i do not appreciate that on any sense of the word yeah any sense of the the concept that women are just there to be looked at and watched while they have intimacy and then you have that other um strangeness with the porn industry with men where now i'm seeing in straight porn like all the time like the dude keeps his underwear on the entire time. Or he doesn't even touch his partner. Doesn't even touch his partner. Does, just pumps yeah, away. He keeps a full suit on, but that's hot for some reason. Well, I do not understand hot, it. Like yeah, no, like he's sweating and really he smells very, gross. Very he has sweated off all of his deodorant. Yeah. There is nothing nice like, about that. When I watch straight porn, I don't... Like, I want to get into more different types of pornography to understand it better. But it's so hard for me to, because like the woman is doing a lot of fucking work, <laughs> and she's like really bringing in the entire audience, and all I'm looking for is like one cute dude booty, and then they don't even give me that. Like he's in boxers the whole time, like boxers, not even like compression shorts. Like I'm dying. Also, a lot of the, <laughs> I that's I'm so sorry, but a lot of the um, a lot of the gay the male gay porn that I've seen, it's 
almost always like a, a sexual assault. There's a lot. There's a lot of yep. that. There is a lot of that. There is a lot of where it starts off as a sexual assault. Yeah, there's this. Oh, hello. Okay. There's this um, framing of a lot of porn. And I think this definitely extends from like how a lot of aggressive like man and woman porn operates where you have this more submissive character and this more dominant character, which is definitely like an aspect of kink, like in the subdom culture. And like, I don't want to discredit their kink, but it's kind of synced into every sort of aspect of porn everywhere, which yeah. seems almost unfortunate. Yeah, well, um, for trigger warning here, I am going to talk about um, sexual assault related things in this next little bit. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it has to do that we are in a rape culture and people on a very subconscious level view that as sexual, they view that as okay, and they view that as a way in which to claim other people. And that's very hot for some people. Some people are very sexually attracted to that. And I don't want to tell those people that they can't have those attractions, but I want us to work on, as a society, finding ways to walk away from those attractions by teaching people better lessons about consent. Yeah, and just starting with consent and also sexual health and awareness and all that, high sexual education in high schools is garbage. Yeah, well, we are in Idaho, so. Even, even other states. Yeah. I had a friend in um, Washington, and it was garbage for her. But anyways. So what are we talking about here, Allison? Um, I was thinking about the sexualization of queer women and how it's a bit of, like, there's two sides to it where there is men over-sexualizing us. Like, in my first relationship, I would be asked, like, how I had sex. People would ask me very sexual questions when I was in high school. And then there would also be, the qu so it would be the question of men just delighting in that, but also, like, not understanding it, not understanding how two women could be sexual together. Because, obviously, women are not as sexual as men. Yeah. It was ridiculous. <laughs> also, all this talk, um, trigger warning again for sexual assault. Um, there's a lot of gay porn right now that's gotten really popular. I've noticed like it's like all over the place. It's this sexual assault of actually heterosexual men where the gay man is like scheming with uh, the heterosexual man's like partner or whoever they're going to have sex with and they like switch places. And that's actually assault. Like if you decide to have intimate relations with a partner and they plan to have intimate relations with you, this is like even beyond sexuality, beyond like gender or anything. Like if someone doesn't consent and you just swap out while they're not looking or they're like incapacitated or they're like blindfolded, that's assault and that's not cool. And I really wish I'd stop seeing so much of that around, but it doesn't surprise me because I mean, it's it's shocking, and the shocking porn tends to draw in audiences, and they're kind of moving for click value. They're moving for, for traffic. So I understand that aspect of it. Um, so I think that's all the main topics that we wanted to cover here today. I think we also had a piece that we wanted to have read. We had a submission by one of our members here. Um, so, Thais, if you want to... I know what part I'm supposed to read now. Oh, okay. That's good. So, if you want to take it away, then... Also, if you can give any sort of preface for the piece before you begin, if you feel that's necessary. This is the biography of Julie Daubigny. 
Julie Daubigny, also known as La Mopine, professionally led the life that boys in Tinder bios could only dream, dream to achieve. <laughs> she dueled noblemen, starred in operas, and eventually got the king to pardon her twice. Born in 1670, La Mopine had an untamed spirit from a young age. Her father thought marriage would subdue her. He arranged a marriage between his daughter and his boss. La Mopine went through with the marriage, but ran away soon after with a hot-headed swordsman. Together, they put on fencing shows to make a living. La Mopine had learned fencing from her father and soon surpassed the swordsman in skill. During one particular show, an audience member drunkenly shouted that La Mopine must be a man because of her talent. In answer, La Mopine tore her shirt open, exposing her chest. Once she got bored of, of her swordsman lover, La Mopine met the daughter of a merchant. They became lover, lovers to the displeasure of the merchant. He sent his daughter to a convent as punishment. However, La Mopine followed her, joining the convent as a postulate. A while after they joined, an elderly nun died. La Mopine took the nun's body and put it into her lover's room so that people would think it was her, and set the convent on fire. You know all as all disaster bisexuals do. <laughs> the two women eloped and were happy for three more months before La Mupine grew bored again. The, the merchant's daughter returned to her parents and La Mupine was stopped by the authorities. She was charged with kidnapping, body snatching, and arson, among other things. By talking to her former husband, La Mupine was able to get the king to pardon her. Once she was clear, La Mupine began a journey to Paris. Along the way, she got into a duel with a man because he had offended her. La Mupine ended the fight by stabbing him in the shoulder. The next day, she went to see if he was all right and found out he was a count that was taking due to return to his military unit. The two became lovers for a brief time and lifelong friends after he left. After that, La Mupine started her opera career. During this time, there was many stories about her wild behavior. For example, she dressed as a man to attend a ball. There, she spent most of the night flirting with a young woman, going as far as to kiss her in front of everyone. Three of her suitors got mad at the display and challenged her to a duel. She fought and won against all of them. The king was amused by her and pardoned her again from any punishment for the rule against dueling in Paris. He noted that the rule said nothing about a woman dueling. La Mupine spent the last few years of her life performing in operas such as Tancred and La Venetienne. She sang for the court at Versailles multiple times and was renowned for her talent on the stage. At the time, she was in a relationship with a woman named Marie-Louise Therese de Sinatère, who died in 1705. La Mupine was heartbroken and retired from opera to live in the convent. She died two years later of unknown causes. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sweet. And what, who was that piece submitted by? Do we want to say? Allison. It was lovely. That was a really good piece. Should we should we say that? Okay, they were bisexual. So that's the relevancy of the story. Not just a story, but his story or her story. Mm. That's a spicy time. Not going to lie, that was kind of bad. Thank you. That's what I do. You're welcome. I'm a walking cringe post. Um... 
Okay. Well, I think that's all we have planned for today. It was really nice chatting with all y'all. And it was really nice having our listeners tune in today to our lovely podcast. Now, as everyone may or may not know, today is October 1st, which is the first day of LGBT History Month, which is not Pride Month. They're different. Accept it. Um, This month, we have a lot of good plans going on. We're going to probably organize a drag night for October 24th, if you ever want to email us or understand more about that you can always email me at will young at my.cwi.edu this is the queers and allies club at college of western idaho we meet every tuesday and wednesday 4 to 5 p.m tuesday is at the ada campus wednesday is at the nampa campus and if you want any more details about our events or what we do as a club please again email me at will young at my.cwi.edu And yeah, have a chill week.